I'm Mike. I'm Chris. And I'm tired. <laughs> Welcome to DMs Discuss, where this week DMs will discuss uh, another DMM, a Dungeon Master moment. Uh, so this will be uh, another one of the episodes in a series where we essentially just sit down and uh, grab a drink and shoot the shit about some of our favorite moments around the table. Uh, so I think I'll kick us off this week since I don't think I've done that yet. Uh, and for mine, mine's a kind of short and sweet but fun one um and it's kind of a story that lends itself to uh kind of teaching you to go with the flow even if you're running something that's pre-made uh so that was <laughs> that was what happened with me um so i was running curse of strahd on wednesday nights chris and scott both played in that game uh and as happens in most DD campaigns uh it went entirely off the fucking rails like very early on uh, they saw a windmill in the distance and I forgot that I probably shouldn't have mentioned the windmill in the distance, even though it's in the normal descriptions because one of the characters was, uh, essentially like a monster hunter who for sure knew that some sort of monster was going to be there that he wanted to kill. You always uh, burn so down like, the windmill. <laughs> yeah. You burn down the windmill with a bunch of children in it. That was fun. Um, we didn't know they, we but... <laughs> didn't know they were in there. <laughs> That's fair. You didn't know they were in there when you went back, but, uh, like that was kind of the story of this campaign right from the start. So, of course, when they got to Velaki in the middle of Barovia, like pretty early on, I think, right, in the campaign, because you entirely yeah, fucking bypassed the first town. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're just like, somebody's crying in the distance? Nah, I'm just kidding. Let's just go. Let's get out of here. Uh, I don't so know. they just I mean, entirely bypassed the first city. We, we got into like a creepy setting, something crying in the distance. Like, I've watched enough horror movies to know that's how you get killed. So. <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. I just assumed that you guys might, you know, go investigate to see if you could save whoever that was. But no, uh, my character was like, fuck that. Yeah. Now you'll never know. Um, <laughs> unless you go read Curse of Strahd, I guess. Um, but uh, once they got to Velaki in the middle of town, um, they very quickly found that like the uh, the burgomaster didn't really care about the rule of law. And one of the characters in the party was very much a rule of law kind of person. Uh, so they discovered that the burgomaster's son had, uh, you know, been killing servants and things like that, trying to test out teleportation magic. They brought that information to the burgomaster. He refused to punish the son. So uh, our paladin essentially just smited him into the ground uh, immediately, then killed the son during the trial uh whoa, and the, whoa, 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 whoa. uh what that makes us sound like we're just murder hobos the sun during the Me. trial <laughs> we no we were not murder hobos like <laughs> i know I the know. sun during the trial was because we we actually decided to bring him to trial and let the town decide yeah and, and then, then he tried to cone of cold the town i know yeah i, I think yeah, that's yeah. worth a bop on the head or two i mean a counter spell would have done it but uh <laughs> you I know I was playing a rogue. I, I didn't know Counterspell. <laughs> yeah. So they essentially murdered they killed the Burgomaster. Uh they killed the son. Uh and uh like chased one of the other noble families out of town and decided 
that they were going to just, you know, institute a new government of, of the people, by the people, for the people in Barovia. Uh, so they had one character essentially run around and gather up a bunch of people from every uh, like socioeconomic status level from within the village and elected a council uh, to put themselves in, in power, essentially, within uh, the city of Velaki. So I think, and then they dubbed themselves the Chainbreakers. Uh, because they were essentially trying to give the power back to the people within, uh, within the city of Velaki. And I think that was maybe my favorite moment that just entirely shifted the entire tone of the campaign. Because it went from like Velaki being a place you visited a couple times and then, you know, just kind of left <laughs> to being like the basis for the rest of the campaign. Because oh, everything else happened Marxist from your revolution. home in Velaki. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You sparked a Marxist revolution in, in Velaki uh, and then used Velaki as your kind of base of operations for the rest of the campaign. Because immediately after you did that, you also get access to, I think, like polymorphs and things like that. So you were just flying around Barovia instead of having to travel at the normal speed that you would normally be doing it. This party so. sounds extremely smart and noble. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was good I times. Uh Maybe my favorite like political moment that's happened in any of my games was just like everybody deciding to just basically have a socialist revolution within Velaki. I think it worked out well. Like what uh, I know we had a um circle of stars druid who was like helping make food for people and and helping teach some of the kids and um yeah, having that council and people from those different statuses like you know in idealistically it sounds like it's a, a decent system oh yeah like i'd fucking live in Velaki. that sounded great i mean at the end uh, of the day like that's what DD is about right you know it's a fantasy game that lets you like live out these fantasies of you know <laughs> like fighting dragons using magic and actually affecting radical political change yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh man good times yeah that, that was fun to participate in as a player honestly i think i think being able to kind of like have you run with that and just like I've played in some D and D campaigns before, but um, I know one of the other players we were playing with the person playing the the Blade Singer Wizard, I believe. Yeah. Um, Blade Singer Wizard slash Paladin. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I really enjoy playing with him because he just he just does whatever he wants to do for the oh, most yeah. part. So oh, a hundred percent. Like playing with him is always going to be entertaining. Uh, I mean, and DMing for him is also super entertaining. When it comes to an NPC, like if I'm having a conversation with an NPC, I'm usually hesitant to be like, all right, I, I hit this guy and smite him. But, you know, this other player yeah. will just do that if he feels <laughs> it's in character. Where me, I'm like, oh, I start thinking about the consequences of my action and how that's going to affect the party. And like, that's just me as a person, I guess. Yeah. But but this other person's a little more just like some of the characters are a little more impulsive where they're just like, I bash this guy in a smite. <laughs> yeah, well, this is the same guy who in Chris's game fucking tried to smite a level 20 bard when we were like level seven. Yeah, I miss playing with him. I think he's like one of those players. I, I don't think he ever did it. Like, I think he's I think he's careful enough about his yeah. decisions. Like, it's not murder hobo and it's not like no, I and think it's not malicious. Has, no, it isn't. So. And I think it leads to really interesting things around the table. Like as players, I think that stuff is it's fun to like introduce 
that kind of chaos to a table sometimes. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's fantastic. We went from having uh, Velaki being just essentially another uh, like Nepo baby running uh, like kind of like an extension of Strahd running this place, uh, demanding all of these like festivals be run and like fucking over all of the poor in the village and like all of these things to, you know, the Saint King <laughs> running everything and converting everybody to the new religion and well, like the, all of that nonsense. It was great. The new religion was very much like, uh, I think it, it was very Unitarian. the hand, but yeah, it was very much like United. Yeah, it was a United Church for sure. It was fantastic. It was hilarious. Uh, I think yeah. part of like part of what was interesting there too. I I don't I don't know if I'm recalling this accurately, but I think at one point there were some other uh, families that were still loyal to Strahd, mm-hmm. and basically Reardon had them assassinated without the party knowing. Like he actually mm-hmm. talked to you behind the scenes about sending assassinations yeah. out for these families. Well, what he did was, if you remember correctly, there was a... Uh, I didn't. I don't. Okay. <laughs> so there was there was a mirror in one of the houses. Oh. That had an assassin in it. That Was that a, a ghost assassin? Thing? No, that was real. That's actually in the campaign. It's a mirror that has an, a ghost It's a assassin. mirror that has the ghost of an assassin in it that you can command. Uh, and they will go and attempt to kill whoever you name when you see them. We attempted um, to name Strahd, if I remember that correctly. You did. That did not <laughs> that, work. That well. did not work. Yeah. No, that, that is very much explicitly called out in the campaign that that does not work. What was uh, that, Chris? <laughs> I was really thinking that was going to be a life hack. I'm like, boom, speed run. <laughs> that's a good idea, man. <laughs> no, Magic Circle is the speed run. Um, yeah, but we've talked about that. That was like, that, that was cool, but that, oh, yeah. that should never have been allowed to happen. But oh, 100%. The, the Magic Mirror, I thought that was a cool item. Like, that's the first time I've encountered something like that. Yeah. And I actually really like the notion of like giving the players a, an item like that or like, hey, you can send out an assassination, right? And yeah, like, but yeah, Reardon just asked me to go down into mysteries and was like, so when everybody goes to bed tonight, I'm going to go talk to the mirror. I was like, oh, shit. Okay. He's like, yeah, I'm going to tell it to go kill that lady. I was like, yeah. oh, fuck. Okay. <laughs> that, I mean, yeah, she, that, I mean, that'll was, do that. She was evil, though, as far as I remember. Like she was yeah. or maybe, you know, on the neutral sides, but. Um, I believe she had a basement with like, oh yeah, no, they were hundred percent running a cult out of the basement. Yeah. 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 She was evil as fuck. I just thought it was super metal that he was just like, nobody else needs to know this, but, uh, lady Walker is dead. <laughs> I, as a player, I have trouble sometimes making decisions that can affect the entire party. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like how, like. How do you kind of talk yourself into making these decisions where like this could totally fuck up everything and I, but I'm just going to do it. Is it just like you justify it just based on like this is in character? I mean I technically it'll be interesting. Yeah, it'll be interesting and also technically every decision you make in every game could eventually end up fucking, right? It's like Yeah. What do yeah. you think your character would do and what do you think would be fun? Yeah, I guess I guess you have to have a lot of kind of trust in your DM too yeah. to not like blow this. Like for example, let's say you send an assassination, and then your DM's like, "Oh, the next day, like a whole bunch of guards come and execute you all." Right? Like yeah. you gotta trust your DM not to just straight up kill you for stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. Punish oh, you so, too uh, much. Someone who likes playing evil characters, I, I'm fully ready at any point in time to face the consequences <laughs> of my own actions. <laughs> yeah, I get that. 
but the party may not. I think this comes back to like to like kind of what kind of game you want to play. And if you're cool with that as like that rule zero conversation or that session zero yeah. conversation where you're like, you know, if there are evil characters like I, I actually like some of your characters in terms of like the, the evil ones. Um, they're just so darn funny. Yeah. yeah. Like, but, oh, but it's you, a war crime. You don't play them in that like chaotic, like murder hobo way. Like I, I think you normally play lawful evil as, or like neutral, right? Yeah. Cause you know, I'll be like, obviously if I played them any sort of like chaotic way, nothing would get done. Yeah. yeah. I always make sure that their general goals align with the party. Just, you know, their, their methods are what sets them apart. Yeah. Pantalone yeah. was a little creeper. Pantalone <laughs> was fucking fantastic. I love that character. <laughs> And I successfully right. committed many crimes with him. <laughs> you did. Very many crimes. It yeah, was like very lucrative. Stealing an, stealing an old lady's for, fortune? Yeah, her entire inheritance. You're a horrible person, Chris. She <laughs> <laughs> didn't need it anyway. She was dying. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, moving on here, I'm going to bring up uh, kind of one of my moments. This happened recently in a game I was DMing. Uh, I've been DMing a Strixhaven U campaign, and um, I've had one of my players uh, have to step away from the table for a little bit, just for personal reasons. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm having to do a little bit of filler stuff, and uh, essentially, on their way to to this camp, I had the party encounter an elf, and uh, an elf in the forest. And as they kind of spoke to this elf, he asked for help and he was asking the party if they could help him and then you know what do you need help with and he basically needed help finding a ring that had slipped off his finger and you know he he's been looking around for for a while but he's unable to find it he i think he tripped in the the ring went flying so uh you know throughout the time that they're, they're like okay well we'll help you whatever they do some insight checks make sure this guy's on the up and up and uh, they start looking around for this guy's ring. And throughout it, he's kind of panicked a little bit. And he's a little worried. Uh, and he just keeps talking about how it's really precious to him. And, you know, like, he normally doesn't like jewelry. But this is his one ring. And, like, he can't believe he lost it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then over the course <laughs> over the course of that, like, eventually they hear some rustling in the bushes. And uh, another little, a little dwarven woman comes out and... Um, you know, at some point the party asks, like, oh, like, what's your name? And he lets them know that his name is Frofo. And this is uh this is Pam, the dwarf. So Frofo and Pam are in the forest, and Frofo lost his one ring and he's trying to find his precious. And uh this just goes on for a little bit. And at some point, um, they do one of the wizards does find the ring. Um, and Frofo is like really excited and asks for it back. And at that point, I have the wizard make wisdom saves, and he fails them. So I bring him into mysteries and say, like, you feel the pull of this ring and you hear whispers about power and this thing does not want to be given back and it has a grip on you and it's offering you power. So this wizard decides to start blasting the party. They get into combat with Frofo, which I the intention was never from a DM perspective. The intention was never for them to get into a battle with Frofo. Yeah. This was more of like a help find the ring, whatever, get rewarded. Yeah. Um, And. The party was level, I think, eight, and Frofo was like a CR twelve ish, thirteen ish. Um, he was using one of the like, I believe, one of the, I think, like, there's an autumn elf or something, or like, winter elf, and, anyways, he was using one of these CR twelve or thirteen stat blocks, 
and he gets into a battle at the party and they start like he hits with like three attacks and he starts chunking people and this wizard starts blasting people and the party is just panicking and trying to like watching the players try to figure this out like some are trying to like talk this wizard out of it like give the ring back what are you doing blah, blah, blah. other players are like actually going and trying to attack this guy and like knock him prone or whatever eventually over time like even the bards like trying to use suggestion to influence this player to give the ring back as well and he just keeps passing these checks and uh after a little while of this and taking quite a bit of damage um they were able to finally convince him to give the ring back um <laughs> and as the ring's given back or no actually one player actually like didn't convince him to give the ring back but like basically like stole it out of his hand using a mage hand or something like that and um frofo gets his ring back and then he puts it on and goes invisible and pam scurries off in one direction like he puts the ring on and he grabs pam and they both go invisible pam scurries in one direction frofo dashes in another direction and the wizard decides to rhymes binding ice and i believe that's like a cone yeah uh, and it basically can root something in place but thankfully the dash got this thing just out of range um (laughs) and then they disappeared and this was a kind of fun encounter it was this very like light-hearted stupid thing and the players caught on right away that it was uh, like lord of the ring references and stuff like that um but it was just fun to kind of as a dm just watch players have that fun or come to those realizations like oh my god this is frodo and and stuff like that and this was a very like kind of silly stupid session where normally i run a bit more story driven serious stuff uh, but this was just like i'm just gonna do something really dumb <laughs> yeah see, now you fantastic. see the appeal of it is getting to watch the players realize <laughs> that the whole thing they're doing is just some bit <laughs> yeah just like getting your players to groan audibly is probably <laughs> one of the best feelings as a dm yeah. like making them cry and and making them groan are probably the two best things you can do as a DM to your players. Yeah, not all the time, but on occasion, <laughs> I think it, it has its spot. Like, um, like I said, I normally don't run like super like silly bit stuff like this, um, but it was fun just to like not have to plan a session too much and just come in and just be reactive and just wing stuff based on what the party did. Uh, part of the intention of this was when they found the ring, I was assuming one of them would put it on. Uh, yeah. And then the party would have been teleported into a shadow realm where they would fight like shades. Um, but no, that didn't happen. Uh, at <laughs> one point, one of the, the wizard was told me that like, yeah, if I had it for a few rounds, I was going to put it on for like better for another round. I would have put it on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is just an example of something silly you can run and something that was like super fun for me as a DM. And like, it's something I'll remember, even though it was like super silly and extremely like extremely just plain ripped off yeah um you know for a home for a little one shot home session it was uh it was a blast for sure those are some of them like the best sessions in campaigns that's super fun yeah i had a lot of fun running it and just watching the party kind of scramble was uh was fun (laughs) speaking of scrambling chris i think you're talking about some some big army fight or something based on the notes yeah uh, so I was finally at the last session of my very long running, like seven year long campaign. 
And, you know, it had finally come. I was ready to, to wrap everything up. And I decided I was going to do something a little bit special for it. Seven years. That's nuts. Yeah. The characters were pretty much level 22 because, uh, you know, they got into the, the boons level. And I want something interesting, right? Because, you know, the whole thing has been like this, you know, covert strike team hunting down like the cult and eliminating them. Um, but I really want to have something like interesting to like, you know, kind of represent like this whole campaign. Uh, so when they came back, essentially at the end of the other one, I had left them with the fact that, uh, you know, there are starting to be like cracks appearing inside like the sun, which had been red and held down by chains for like months and that the city was under attack and essentially like portals were opening up. What, what appeared on the sun? Sorry, I didn't catch that. Uh, so, like, the sun, like, slowly throughout this campaign, like, at first, like, it started, like, only rising to, like, you know, like, kind of, like, dawn and just being red. And eventually you could see, like, chains, like, holding it in place. So, like, it was never fully daytime. And then finally, like, on this, like, last day of this battle, like, you started seeing, like, cracks in it and, like, something was, like, pouring out. So, yeah, ominous. Terrifying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it sounds terrifying. Yeah, there was like lava or whatever falling out of the sun into the middle of the city. It was terrifying. What's more terrifying, that or a moon breaking in half and a bunch of dragon riders coming out of it? This, this is definitely more scary than dragon riders. Well, they because also we knew, knew this what it would definitely signal the return of Theris Dune. <laughs> yes. Tell me about Theris Dune. I'm, I'm, I'm not like. I'm not super familiar with a lot of like the D and D lore. Like I know some, like you know Vecna, obviously from from Critical Role, and uh, I know some of the deities. But uh, tell me about Theristin. Uh So he's pretty much your classic like far realm chaos god. Got sealed away for just destroying everything, and so he's kind of like been imprisoned in his own plane. And he has a cult of people who are dedicated to essentially bringing him back all the time. Usually, you know, a lot of themes of, like, madness, chaos, and stuff like that. What's with all these people wanting to bring back evil gods? Uh, There's a lot of, you know, some people are just driven crazy because, like, he has, like, this book that, like, drives you insane when you look at it. And which would just, like, compel them to do so. Others were people just hated the material plane for their own reasons. Some people just want to watch the world burn, Scott. Yeah, there's a cool moment where they they found (laughs) out, like, one of the, his, like, main generals who's helping him come back. Uh, essentially was like an ancient shadow dragon who like defended used to be like the king of the Dwergar, but it was forced into uh like into the shadow fell like during a- one ancient, of the wars ancient shadow dragons now you're now you're talking my language <laughs> <laughs> and they actually they got to speak with him because he's known as the dreamer where he just he's been asleep this entire time searching out these artifacts to resurrect him and he told them like you know he used to like rule over the Dwergars, like the, you know their lord but there's a like a fight with the regular dwarves, and the elves came and forced them so deep underground to the Shadowfell. Dur- and Durgar, he... Durgar, are like uh, sh- like Shadowfell dwarves. They're underdark dwarves. Underdark yeah. dwarves. Okay, gotcha. So they went even deeper than before, and essentially they all got like almost all got wiped out. And so since then he's hated the material plane. So since he's out of it in the Shadowfell, he's like, you know what? As revenge, I'm going to bring back this chaos god because fuck you, you guys chased my people to the Shadowfell. Yeah. Hmm? Uh. For reference, Scott, there's an inscription from one of Theris Dune's Black Pyramid that is, light must be snuffed, perfection decayed, order dissolved, and minds fragmented. That is kind of the slogan of that god. Sounds uh, 
Sounds catchy. <laughs> yeah. So obviously bad. They're trying to stop him from coming back. And it led to this uh, fight where, you know, they returned, you know, we started the next session and there's like all these like armies kind of like massing. And so I decided to, you know, have this cool thing where I used a system of army combat where I told the players, you know, like each of you are going to go and lead your own like battalion against, you know, these forces. And like, you're going to defend like one side of the wall and like, you know, the other armies are fighting on the other sides of it. And so each of them got to essentially build like a custom unit. Uh, I think about like 20, 20 dudes in it. And then they got to choose like uh, out of three like main uh, like companies, which are uh, 50 units each. And you could choose between like dwarves, elves, or humans from different kingdoms. And then I had a bunch of like special support units they could choose like, like several of, where there's things like, uh, and th- this is meant to reflect like all the allies and stuff they'd made, where there's like dwarven riflemen, uh, and there's, you know, special, like, elven scouts. There's, you know, gnomish artificer, like, artillery. And they so can you, customize their army like that. You, you let them RTS it. Yeah. That's Basically, sweet. yeah. And so it was this huge, huge map where it was, like, uh, like four to one scale. And it was just, like, this massive army on one side. They are outside the walls to defend the city. And they had these giant astral dreadnoughts, like, kind of traveling with them as, like, siege engines which they knew they had to stop them from getting to the walls. And it was like really cool. Cause you know, it was this epic fight of, you know, they were like losing all these units, you know, they started like making some progress. Then they found out the astral dreadnoughts were burping up more units. Cause they have like a demi plane inside them and yeah. they're actually being used as armored personnel carriers. <laughs> yeah. Like every couple of rounds as they got closer and closer to the walls, they were just spitting out more units to kill us. Yeah. That, that sounds fun. I think like I've never really had a chance to like participate in or do like, large-scale combat like to me it kind of feels like like i watch some people play warhammer and stuff where they're kind of the, the combat's a little more than you know i'm controlling one unit or one one np one pc where yeah. giving the player like i think giving the player control of like all those different unit types and stuff or having them build their own little battalion like that's really cool and well it's, it's a, really satisfying right because i want something to reflect like how big this conflict has gotten and, you know, like, it is a classic thing in D&D is, you know, as much as your players could technically fight an army, you know, like, it's hard to convey that in a reasonable time in a turn tracker, right? Because, like, a hundred yeah. soldiers, like, it's not meant to work like that. But this system yeah. was fun because it kind of pairs it down to one really high damage attack from the unit as a whole. And so it's very satisfying. Okay, my archers attack. It's like, okay, like, that hits and that's going to do 126 damage. <laughs> Yeah, that's cool. I think like this system was where did you kind of find the basis of the system? Was it all homebrew or like was this something that you like found and adapted? Uh, uh, because I don't when I when I think about running large scale combat, I'll be I'll be completely honest. Like I have no clue where I'd start with that. So it was a it's been around for a while. It's a PDF called like Kingdoms and Battalions. And it is like an exhaustively detailed thing of how to run armies with full of like supply lines and logistics. I essentially took out the combat parts and just sent that to my players. I'm like, please don't read all of this. I'm not using the rest of this. Yeah. Um, so it was kingdoms and battalions. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to look up what the author will put in the show notes for everybody. Um, but yeah, essentially it's, it's a really simple system to run combat where essentially you take half the number of units inside, uh, inside you, like whatever group you're creating and then that's your combat modifier. And essentially you multiply all the stats of that creature by that number. 
And then instead of accuracy, it gets a number, which is like its accuracy number. And if it essentially, if that number would meet or beat the armor class, it does full damage. If it's less than that, it does half. And then for every five above or below, it's either quartered or doubled. So it's actually really simple. You can take any creature and be like, okay, like what would a hundred skeletons look like? And then the damage modifier is like, if as if fifty or fifty skeletons hit somebody, right? Yeah. So is this is it kingdoms and warfare? Is it a Matt Coville, or is it something um, different? I'd, I'd have to check. I don't have it pulled up right now. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean that sounds cool. Like being able to run, um, being able to run these large scale like battles. I think that's a pretty common trope, right? Like even in movies and stuff where. There's the culmination of armies and different factions banding together. To... Oh, I definitely took inspiration yeah. from several things. Uh, I even did a classic endgame moment where things were looking really rough for them at a certain point where like everything was getting really close. They were, had lost several of their biggest units. And then I had this epic moment where uh, this is like, you know, the Black Strike campaign and the leader of the Black Strike is known as Benegarius Black Strike who lives in a flying castle and like runs the guild. And I had the flying castle show up with like him and a bunch of their former, uh, like former commanders, the one who they replaced when they took over with them show up and have all of them like charge into the fight with like their own armies and stuff like that. That's sweet. And then I had the huge reveal where Benegarius himself leapt off, you know, the edge of this thing and finally turned into his true form, which was an ancient silver dragon. And everyone's like, oh, damn. That's dope. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty rad. Yeah, that sounds pretty rad. So, yeah, like, then, you know, the fight kind of went back on their side where, like, all these, like, his elite squad, and, like, their friends come in. And then, like, there's this giant dragon that is, like, directly tackling one of these astral dreadnoughts. And then they, then they got to have the whole, like, you know, like, you know, we've got this, like, go in the city. And they went back into, you know, like, player scale combat to kind of have the final fight. That's cool. Like, I know... I know that this game, I think this this was one of the in-person games, right? Like yeah. This was, so this was, I'm assuming, at one of the weekends, like Chris and Mike go off on particular weekends and they meet up at one of the one of the people's house and basically have like a D&D weekend. Um, so I'm assuming this was at one of those, right? Yes. Yeah. How, so was this like a full weekend? Um. So the combat was about half the gameplay time. The combat was what? It was about half of the time we played. Like the army combat. Yeah, so the yeah. army combat went from about 10.30 in the morning until 7 p.m. On the Saturday? On the Saturday. And then Buddy. we broke, had dinner, and came back and did the actual boss fight from like 8 until 4 a.m. And then Sunday was like wrap-up? Uh, no, we did the wrap-up right after the fight. And then ah, Sunday sweet. was just, we went and got breakfast and then headed out. Yeah, that sounds dope. How, how'd you feel when the campaign was done, Chris? Uh, I think it was really exciting. Uh, you know, it, it felt like, you know, it was a good ending to it. Um, so there was a really clutch betrayal that I think no one, <laughs> no one really saw coming. People had some inklings, but they didn't see it that there it is. It was pretty brutal. I had this guy essentially, uh, teleport in one of the characters, like pregnant wives and murder her in order oh, to like, good Lord. And bring, yep. to bring Thera's Dune back. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. And then, of yes. course, there's like a five-stage boss fight uh, with like an ever more powerful avatar player is doing being summoned. Yeah, that that's something I want to like try in my games a little more. Like having that kind of phased boss fight you see in like yeah. particular video games, where you know 
you, you hit him for you know quarter of HP, and then he uh, transforms, or they transform, or they gain a new ability. I think that's kind of a cool mechanic, and adds a lot of flavor to like boss fights. Yeah, it led to some pretty intense, uh, some pretty intense moments. No, Mike uh, was on a, a bit of a counter spell chain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, was he? Oh my god, dude! So yeah, I'll talk about that in a second. So this boss fight was insane. It was uh, an avatar of theirs doing that had four chains on it. And as we were dealing damage to it, chains were breaking over time. Like, I think it was as he was dealing more damage, he was breaking his own chains or something. I don't know how that mechanic was working. But we got down to the final chain, and Chris told us essentially, if that chain breaks, you lose. Like, he's back. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> but essentially what happened, the ending uh, of the campaign, and the reason that Galfix is now Galfix the Godslayer, uh, is because uh, essentially... Thera's Dune tried to, I had 13 HP, and Thera's Dune tried to uh, disintegrate me. And uh, our bard counterspelled that, but then the like second mini-boss, the guy that Chris had used to murder somebody, was 60 feet away from, or no, it was like 100 feet away from him, but he distance spell counterspelled it. So he distance spell counterspelled the counterspell. And then I was exactly 60 feet away from that guy. So <laughs> I counterspelled it and had to roll for it. And he had used an eighth level Ooh. slot to counterspell. Ouch. I was actively I, trying to kill my players. <laughs> and I rolled an 18. Good lord. So with the 18, I counterspelled the distant spell counterspell of the counterspell of the disintegrate. And then my commander item that I have in this game, because Chris made like custom items for all the players, my commander item lets me spend uh, a number of charges equal to half the level of the spell that I am counterspelling to reflect that back at the caster. So this chain resolved and I ended up reflecting the disintegrate back at the avatar of Thera's Dune for the killing blow with a disintegrate. Sweet. Yeah, you had like any health left. <laughs> yeah. Your champion item was just a mirror. Basically, it was a mirrored <laughs> manuscript. Yeah, actually. That's nice. Oh, was yeah. it actually? It was, yeah, yeah, it was actually was. called the mirrored <laughs> manuscript. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, it let me etch spells into it at like half or like half or double speed, like half time to put new spells into the spell book. And then I could also use it to reflect things that I counterspelled. And store spells that you counterspelled. And store spells that I counterspelled for up to a day. That's sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun. Sounds like that was a pretty good ending to a to a long campaign. Oh, it was wild. Matt was dead at the time. It was great. unfortunately it it was pretty easy to to resurrect his wife afterwards yeah yeah but yeah that was that was the end of that it was a a great session it was neat to try something new and like get that army thing to give him really give him that feeling of like these are all the people you've like helped and inspired have like several hundred people fighting beside you and then still get to go off and like you know have their hero moment yeah yeah, I like that. I, I think the allies portion of the uh, of the character sheets is a, a good portion to pay attention to. Give you give your party allies, give them little groups that will do scouting missions for them or come and help them in a time of need, stuff like that. It's, sounds like a fun, a uh, lot of nostalgia going on in a fun end session. Yeah, for sure. Got to recognize a lot of characters that had come up like during the campaign. 
And then also just like the the army camp stuff was just fun. Because every time you took a turn, you were controlling like seven units or something, but it was really quick because you're like, they have one or two actions they can take. You can move them, you can take yeah. an action, and that's it. So, so it I, I like got a super quick. I got a bone to pick with with Chris not giving me a combat pet, but giving you guys like eight, <laughs> eight unit armies. <laughs> it was one time for a single I know, fight. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm just breaking your balls. All righty. And yeah, that was fun. And uh, I, I like these episodes. I like kind of hearing about table moments and just uh, that's why we play for like little moments like that and just uh, things that are like memorable and, and fun and uh, the other stuff's great too. But then those memorable moments are like, yeah, I, don't they're, they're I think they're awesome. Play, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you have any moments that you want to talk about with us, you can always reach us via uh, email at dmsdiscuss at gmail.com or hit us up via socials at dmsdiscuss on Insta, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. And you don't need to read a 120-page manual on medieval strategy to figure out how to subscribe to us. <laughs> Simply find us in your favorite podcatcher app. And as always, check the show notes for fun stuff. We'll catch you after a long rest. <laughs>